everyone. Welcome to the February 22nd ASF Weekly Science Podcast. I'm Alicia Halliday. President's Day was observed last week, but today is the 22nd and it's normally recognized as George Washington's birthday. I don't get that, but I'm also going to stay in my lane and not question it. So today's topic is update on ABA. Does it work? This is a topic fraught with controversy and I get that. But I also want to make clear what ABA, also known as Applied Behavioral Analysis, is and is not. ABA is a set of, not one, practices and therapies based on learning and behavior. It involves many techniques for understanding and redirecting behavior, especially maladaptive behavior. It also includes techniques for increasing desired behaviors. It teaches skills that are important in everyday life and stresses generalizability of skills by teaching them in a variety of settings, like home, school, and the community. I know that some of you are hearing right now, quote, techniques for increasing desired behaviors and thinking, well, what's desired behavior? Communicating your needs, both verbally and non-verbally, is a desired behavior. Indicating what you want to do or what you want from others is a desired behavior. What is a maladaptive behavior? Well, hitting someone or someone else is a maladaptive behavior. Maladaptive behaviors are not about hand flapping or like someone loving trains. ABA is also not about giving someone an electric shock if they grab a snack off the counter. People have expressed to me both a dissatisfaction as well as a love of behavioral analysis techniques. These include both parents and autistic adults. Many recognize that without this therapy, they would not be able to, in fact, communicate their experiences about ABA. And while I've heard some criticisms about applied behavioral analysis, the recognition that interventions that improve communication and adaptive skills can improve the quality of life for both autistic and non-autistic individuals is also just as loud and resounding. If you want to learn more about ABA, we have a real expert on the topic. Her name is Molly Riley, and she discusses and describes ABA techniques and practices in a blog she wrote last year, and I'm going to post that on the ASF podcast link. But over the years, people have actually crafted these ABA principles to develop more focused interventions based on things like age, structure, environment, and target. The principles, not the actual practices, are things like breaking down a complex skill into the component parts and then helping a person learn those parts through reward. They emphasize learning and positive reinforcement. They have been changed over the years. For example, naturalistic developmental behavioral interventions. These focus on young children and focus on skills which allow the child to participate in interactions. They are delivered in the context of play and turn-taking. You may have heard some of these types of interventions. They're pivotal response training, JASPER and Early Start Denver model. 
Now they all have different names, but the goal is the same. Take a period of early plasticity in the brain, anywhere between one and three years, and provide supports to autistic children to encourage improved communication and redirect maladaptive behaviors even before they begin. But do they work? Now, this is important to know. Parents need to know before they spend 30 hours a week taking their kids to therapy and now during the pandemic, delivering these interventions at home, if they're going to have some sort of beneficial outcome. I am sure I've described some reviews of different interventions for autism, who they may work for, and the problems with their design. But it never hurts to update this information because new studies are coming out all the time which improve, have larger sample sizes, and of course utilize different approaches for different kids on the spectrum. Now, two of these review studies, actually called systematic reviews and meta-analyses, were published recently. A systematic review states a hypothesis like, do naturalistic developmental interventions work, then evaluates the literature, prioritizes the literature based on quality. Were there more than five people for group? Was there a control group? What was the control group? What was the study design? Was there a lot of missing data? Was it peer-reviewed and published in a journal or presented as a meeting as a dissertation? Were the participants randomized or were certain people assigned more to one group than the other? Another new thing that's happening is looking at whether the outcome was proximal or within a few weeks after the intervention was delivered, or did it measure a longer-term skill, like things like pointing, which was more of a distal outcome, which is measured more in overall behavior. Another new thing that's happening is looking at whether the outcome was proximal or with a few weeks after the intervention. Does it measure the skill itself? For example, like pointing at things, for example. That was what the skill was taught. Or, on the other hand, was it a distal outcome, which measured more overall behaviors, cognitive abilities, or a potential change in diagnosis over time? It's great if your child can learn to point or communicate in some way, but does that lead to improved outcomes like improved language, independence? Do they translate to anything? Parents want to know that a learned skill is going to mean that they can go to a mainstream school. Do they, will they need an aid? And what particular downstream skills may need more focus? So those are distal outcomes. Then there's something called a meta-analysis. That's different from a systematic review in that the meta-analysis actually takes all the data from all the studies and puts them on the same scale and then looks at them to see if one study showed a huge effect and others showed smaller effects or did they all show big effects or no effects or even negative effects. They're using the data itself. There were actually two of these meta-analysis or systematic reviews published recently and lots of analyses are done with the data and a lot of interventions were included. Instead of going through each one, I will try to summarize their main findings. And if you are the author on one of these studies, if I missed anything, come at me, yell at me, tell me. My goal here is not to hide anything, but just to give the top line of what families and the autistic community need to know. First thing, everyone realized that these studies were not perfect. Almost always they had at least one flaw. This is part of the systematic review process. You have to figure out where they were weak. Did they have a randomized clinical trial? Did they, was everyone blind to the treatment condition? 
It's a huge issue across research, and people are always criticizing these behavioral intervention research studies because they aren't the traditional design that studies investigating drugs normally use. In other reviews published earlier, this was an issue. So why aren't they perfect? Because behavioral intervention is the standard of practice. So what's going to be the control group? What are you going to withhold from a family? And sometimes parents who are on a waitlist control group know, and they go out and get their own interventions, bless them. But that makes it harder to interpret the findings. And also, some of the things scientists use to determine improvement were never designed to measure change over time to begin with. Some things like cognitive ability may be part of the long haul, but it's not really seen within months. That's a more distal outcome. And cognitive ability is not a really specific, discrete skill you can break down. It's more of a longer-term outcome of naming objects, teaching facts, and so on. A second thing is some of these studies, for the first time in over a decade, actually do have a control group. You can do a waitlist control or a standard treatment of control. This was not always the case, and older studies focused on tracking progress of kids without actually necessarily having a control group. That's not a diss in any way. That's the facts of some of the very early studies. Third, these two systematic reviews were not playing around in terms of risk of biases. They took everything into account. I mean, they wanted one person to randomize, another person to deliver the intervention blind, meaning not knowing what that intervention is, a third person to check the outcomes, both proximal and distal, and get a fourth person to analyze the data. So this all assumes that everyone gets a ton of money from who knows where to pay for all these different people. And also they assume that there's some sort of magic castle where everybody gets trained to do these studies to begin with. These things may not be totally feasible in my opinion. Fourth, these studies were analyzed for over two decades. The older studies that maybe had some design flaws were mixed with the more newer studies with a more advanced design and analytic technique. Fifth, scientists not only acknowledge but practice certain types of interventions for specific age groups. Breaking down the parts into learning what a computer is is not relevant for a one-year-old. You aren't going to see complex emotions like guilt and resentment in a two-year-old. Sixth, and finally, while some interventions may be beneficial across domains, like social, adaptive, language, emotional, behavioral, some may be better at others even within that intervention. Some may be great at improving social communication, but not so great at changing restrictive behaviors. It's okay to say that, and it's okay to point that out. Compared to a decade ago, scientists and clinicians can acknowledge that people with autism their strengths and challenges are very, very different, and that one intervention may not work the same for everyone. And in fact, that's why some are grouped together into things like naturalistic developmental interventions, because at their core, they're similar, but the approaches they use may be slightly different. And here's a note to parents. Don't be slighted if you're enrolled in a study you've never heard about, and it isn't the well-known Early Start Denver model. It might be it's a slight variation on a more well-known intervention that's more focused on the needs of your child. If you have the opportunity to enroll yourself in an intervention trial, do it. So now down to the nitty-gritty of the findings. One, 
there was more likely to be a significant improvement on those proximal outcomes. Things like, can they point? Can they say one word? Do they know the meaning of a word? Can they express joint attention? They were more likely to show improvements than more distal outcomes, like language, the ability to respond to two questions in a row, and things like cognitive ability. I also want to say cognitive ability is a tough one. Very few studies have shown improvements in cognitive ability over the short term. One of the major issues, and I'll say this now, is that kids are followed for, what, a few years after the study is over? They really need to be studied for longer. Some studies are doing that, but it's frustrating. Following kids for 10 years means families need to wait 10 years for findings, and I get that. But these studies are important. Please don't give up or lose enthusiasm over a longitudinal analysis. Two, those NBDIs I mentioned, or naturalistic behavior developmental interventions, those were the ones that were most likely to have a randomized clinical trial design that reduced the probability that they were biased. However, when the outcomes included those that were measured by the same person that delivered the intervention, that was considered too much bias to include them. They were, however, considered the most promising because they're the ones with the randomized clinical trial design and the most likely to improve social communication, language, and play skills. This is the risk of a systematic review. One thing knocks out the inclusion. But if you look at the numbers, there is a positive trend. As someone from Star Wars said, they look like our best hope. Three. Now, here's developmental interventions. They're similar to NBDIs, but include things like floor time, Hanan, and responsive teaching. They're more child-led and have a specific sequence. They seem to be pretty good at improving social communication skills. And in fact, one study using a developmental intervention showed that those proximal outcomes like pointing ended up improving the more distal outcomes like expressing emotion. Four. More of those, quote, early intense behavioral interventions, unquote, showed that while people are doing them, very few use a control group. Unfortunately, because of this limitation, the evidence was only promising. Five, interventions that showed little evidence of effectiveness were sensory interventions and technology-based interventions and animal-assisted interventions. It is likely that these things need to be done to complement other interventions, not used on their own. In fact, the author of one paper said, quote, although assistive technology is an important support that must be accessible to autistic individuals, interventions mediated entirely through technology have little support for their effectiveness for social communication or social emotional outcomes. So they are great but they have to be used in conjunction with other things. Six, child characteristics at the beginning of the studies like adaptive scores and IQ didn't influence outcomes. Now this is a double-edged sword. On one hand, it means that kids of all adaptive and skill levels receive the same level of benefit. Also, younger kids benefited the same as older kids. This is an important thing I want everyone to know. It's never too late to start receiving behavioral intervention. On the other hand, that benefit was minimal. The studies that examined these effects were also not randomized, so the quality of those studies went down and were not necessarily included. I'm telling you, the bar is so high for behavioral studies and autism research. You got to have it all to be considered a real finding. 
This is a good thing. We don't want garbage in research and science. On the other hand, the more recent studies that were randomized had staff that could analyze outcomes different than people who provided the intervention, and those that looked at primary and distal outcomes were few and far between. But those were the ones that showed positive results. Finally, we need more research. This research is hard to do, but incredibly important. We cannot give up just because it's hard, and I want to thank every single person who worked on every single one of these studies, included those in the meta-analyses and the systematic reviews. And obviously, I also want to acknowledge every single family that participated in sometimes grueling schedules to get kids to clinic or videotape practices at home. Everyone does the best they can with the money they have and the staff, and staff is huge. This field needs more trained clinicians. One author ended her systematic review by saying this, quote, even with all the concerns of the studies, the evidence base regarding intervention for children with ASD has been rapidly transforming. The last decade alone has seen the publication of 100 design studies of interventions, including 50 randomized clinical trials. These studies attest to the fact that access to intervention in early childhood can yield a positive range of outcomes for the children receiving it. High-quality studies also suggest that development intervention can and does improve core challenges associated with ASD, particularly in social communication. More high-quality randomized controlled trials that feature independently administered assessments are needed to unquestionably establish the efficacy of any intervention type. Now, I couldn't agree more, and I want to add no intervention is perfect. This is the most evidence based on behavioral interventions with the most history of improving outcomes. Nobody said they were perfect. They can be flawed, but they're getting less and less flawed as time goes on. Don't give up. These interventions do lead to improved outcomes. Thank you for listening this week, and I will talk to you next week, Monday, March 1st. I whispered underneath my breath, but you heard it, darling, you.